welcome to the Did You Know Crypto podcast, episode four, How Do You Buy Bitcoin? I'd like to thank you for coming here today and listening. I'm your host, Dustin Trifurst. I know your time is valuable and I appreciate you spending it with me. Today, we're going to talk about how you can purchase cryptocurrency and become part of the blockchain crypto revolution. First off with this episode, I want to say this is not investment advice. This information is for educational purposes only. Never invest anything you cannot afford to lose tomorrow or anything you you have not researched heavily. The last episode, episode three, was an overview on how I research and rate coins for investing. Please review that before you purchase anything and take into account that I am not a registered investment advisor. And once again, this is for educational purposes only. So now that I've gotten that whole disclaimer thing out of the way, let's talk about how you can buy cryptocurrencies. There are two ways to acquire cryptocurrency using dollars or some other form of fiat currency. Originally, as I was writing this segment, I had included three ways, but had to edit it down to two, as currently there's no way for decentralized exchanges to onboard U.S. dollars or fiat currencies, mostly due to concerns over running afoul of U.S. regulations. I will go over exchanges in detail in episode five, the next episode. So I will explain a little bit more about what actually a decentralized versus centralized exchange is at that time, if you're kind of wondering right now. So the two ways to purchase crypto are a centralized exchange. This could be Coinbase, Uphold, Kraken, Bitfinex, among others, and just person to person. And we're going to go over each of these options and weigh their pros and cons so you can make an informed decision based on your individual situation. First, let's go over centralized exchanges. This is the way most people, myself included, first acquired their first little bit, no pun intended, of cryptocurrency, as it's the most familiar and easiest really way to do so, especially if you're kind of post-2013 kind of crypto person. Among the centralized exchanges in the U.S., Coinbase is the most well-known, and signing up for it is pretty much the same as getting a bank account. Uphold.com is another one out there. It's the one I actually prefer. I'll go a little bit more into that here uh, a little bit later on why. But uh, since Coinbase and these other, other centralized exchanges do business in the U.S. and they use U.S. dollars for buying and selling, they have to abide by the same laws that banks do. And this is called KYC, which means know your customer. These laws require companies like Coinbase to verify a customer's identity So you'll need to give them your social security number, date of birth, as well as copies of your driver's license and usually something like a utility bill to verify your address. Some centralized exchanges will allow you to sign up without giving this information as long as you are funding your account with cryptocurrency and withdrawing in crypto. The second that you want to deal in U.S. dollars, you're going to have to verify your identity using the steps just mentioned. Also to note, this is coming from the perspective of an American citizen dealing with the laws of the United States, so international listeners will have different experiences, although most nations require very similar documentation. You should also take note of the date of this podcast. When, uh, when writing this, I was making sure that I was using the most up-to-date information available. However, in the time from recording this to now, when you're listening, the laws and requirements may have changed, so make sure you're in full compliance with your local laws, and don't just assume anything just based on this podcast. Once you're verified by the exchange, you'll be able to fund your account with U.S. dollars or whatever national currency that you're using. 
Most exchanges will accept transfers using ACH debits, wire transfers, as well as credit and debit purchases. However, as of recording in spring 2018, there's been a very concerted effort with credit card companies in the industry as a whole to basically not allow the purchase of crypto using their cards. By the time you're listening to this, this may have changed uh, in the future, but I don't see this trend reversing really anytime soon until really the big major banks and financial institutions kind of get a hold on crypto and how they can actually make money with it. I would also note that Coinbase and some other exchanges have been charging cards as a cash advance versus normally what you'd get if you swiped at a Walmart. And this carries a much higher interest rate. So you need to be careful if you do use a card and make sure you pay these off right away so you don't get hit with those extra penalties. Depending on the exchange, you'll either have to wait for your funds to arrive to be able to purchase any sort of crypto, or after you get a few purchases in, some exchanges will allow you to purchase now, but you're not going to actually get access to those coins until your payment clears. That's usually between 48, 72 hours, sometimes upwards of a week. So you just want to be careful and make sure that if you are going to get in that you're not doing it right at the top of a bull cycle and then you lose a bunch of your money. Unless you're doing this for the long term, you're going to hold it for five years and it's not really a big deal. So let's talk about the pros of centralized exchanges. One, they are usually very user-friendly. Coinbase and Uphold especially are really trying hard to make this a very similar experience to online banking. From any, you know, from any of the big banks like Citibank or Wells Fargo, something that's very clean, very easy to use, bug-free, have mobile apps, all that kind of good stuff. So as far as from an aesthetic and usability standpoint, they, that, this is probably the best way to go. Two, it's really the easiest way to get U.S. dollars into the crypto markets. All you're going to be doing is linking a bank account. You send the money to your account, and it deposits that cash or deposits that crypto when you buy it. It's easy peasy. No, no problems at all. Three, you do have some measure of guarantee of safety on an exchange. There's no FDIC for an exchange, but generally when they screw up, they make it right. Although, as I will say often throughout the history of this podcast as we go forward, I cannot say this stringently enough, never keep crypto. You're not going to actively trade on an exchange. If you buy on Coinbase, if you buy on Uphold, I prefer to move that stuff off. If you know that you're going to be moving it to somewhere, if you're going to be trading it, personally, my, my rule is if I'm not trading it within the next 72 hours, maybe upwards of a week, depending on what kind of cycles that we're in, I move it off an exchange into a hardware wallet. And we'll talk about those in the next episode. But a hardware wallet's basically just an offline secure storage for crypto. Kind of looks like a thumb drive for the most part. But um, once again, we're going to talk about that in the next episode. It's really not a good idea to keep it on exchanges. I'm not worried really nowadays about exchanges kind of getting hacked or anything like that. They're much, much more robust than they ever were in the past. But as we've learned from the history of crypto, in 2014, we had the largest hack of an exchange to date at that time. And it caused a what was an all-time high of Bitcoin at about twelve to fourteen hundred dollars, if I remember correctly, crashed all the way down to two hundred after about three hundred million dollars was stolen from the exchange of Mt. Gox. And it really taught a lot of us that were around at that time a good lesson that if you're gonna buy some crypto and you're gonna be holding it for the long term, stick it on a hardware wallet that caused 
costs upwards of, you know, 50 to 100 bucks, stick that crypto on there and leave it on there. It's relatively easy to move it from a hardware wallet back onto exchange. It takes within, you know, five to 30 minutes, depending on the cryptocurrency that we're talking about. But don't leave stuff on the exchange. As I was saying, there is a measure of guarantee of safety as compared to the next thing that we're going to be talking about, which is person to person, in that when you buy on an exchange, you're not going to have to worry about the other party, i.e. that exchange, having any kind of nefarious ideas about taking your money or your crypto or anything like that. You buy it, they give it to you. It's a very safe transaction. So what are the cons of a central exchange? The first one is higher fees. Depending on what we're talking about and what kind of trade that we're going to be doing, it can be upwards of 4%. These fees are much higher than decentralized exchanges like BitShares, where they charge basically like a thousandth of a dollar per trade. And to put it in more perspective, comparing decentralized and, and, and centralized exchanges, if you did 100,000 trades of any amount on the BitShares platform, it would cost you less than $15 a year to do all those trades. If you did just one trade on Coinbase selling 10,000 US dollars worth of Bitcoin, it costs you a little over 100 bucks to sell that. That being said, it's not exactly fair to compare Coinbase proper, as in Coinbase.com, in terms of fees, since their platform is more about making Bitcoin easy to purchase for the average show, they do actually have a native trading platform, GDAX, G-D-A-X, and their fees are very competitive with other trading exchanges and with the rest of the uh, exchanges on the centralized trading platform industry. The second concern is privacy. If privacy is at all important to you, or that's your main concern, then a centralized exchange is not an option at all. I would say that even if you don't really care about your privacy as well, Make sure you research whatever exchange that you're going to be going through. And before you start handing over a bunch of documentation on yourself, make sure that they are legitimate. The third con is support and communication. Now, if we're talking about decentralized exchanges or what we're going to be speaking to next, person-to-person purchases, there's no formal support for that either. But at least with decentralized exchanges, you do have some sort of community support forms, people that are involved in the community that can help you work through any issues that you may have. Centralized exchanges like Coinbase, like Uphold, have support desks. However, with Coinbase, if you've ever tried to get help and you're not a big fish in their pond, it can take weeks or months to get help. Um, They may have gotten better in recent months, but I haven't used them since November, so I can't really speak on it at the moment. Uphold.com, I can say, is great. I've had great experiences with them whenever I have issues and I support or send in a ticket. Works really good as well as contacting them on Facebook or Twitter. They're very, very responsive. Another issue that some may experience with Coinbase in particular is accounts getting abruptly shut down without notice. This is why I haven't had any experience with them lately. My account was shut down, and I never received a reason why. Had to move all my coins off. The only thing I've been able to think of was that I moved my coins from Coinbase to another exchange that was not theirs, and I guess they didn't like that. I have no idea. This is not an uncommon occurrence. There's quite a few other people within the community. Um, a really well-known person is Doug Polk, who runs a YouTube channel, pretty, pretty well-known in the crypto community, who also had his shutdown and never received a reason why. But it's their private business. They have the right to do so, but it can be a pain sometimes, and it's something to, for you to think about if you're going to be using Coinbase. Given that these exchanges are vying for our business as purchases of crypto, it's a bit disconcerting that it's such an issue to get help with a big like the biggest exchange like Coinbase. And I do want to give them a little bit of credit in that they're probably just really swamped with growth. They've grown massively, 
massively in the last 12 months and have probably had a hard time keeping up. Next, we're going to be talking about the other way to buy cryptocurrencies, and that is person to person. That's right. In the age of digital cryptocurrencies on the internet and all that stuff, we're actually talking about meeting with another human being. This was the original way that Bitcoin was actually spread. People would attend Bitcoin meetups, find out what it was all about, and sometimes evangelizers would give away free Bitcoin and or people would sell it to those who attended. There was actually things called Bitcoin and Litecoin faucets. They were actually websites you could go to and it would kind of have like a time lock on it. You could click on it with your wallet address and it would send you 0.1 Bitcoin or whatever or a whole Bitcoin kind of depending on the year that you were going there. You can imagine that. And a lot of these folks who attended these meetups early on are the ones who are millionaires that we hear about today. But that's not why we're getting into this. Don't have delusions of grandeur. Those days are far, far, far gone. Now, you can find people willing to sell you Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies via websites like localbitcoins.com, which I'll have in the show notes. Or you can go to didyouknowcrypto.com slash localbitcoins. You can also go to Craigslist or meetup.com. They'll still have Bitcoin meetups or Bitcoin cash meetups or whatever all around. Look for whatever coin you're looking for to purchase. But if you go to basically kind of any crypto meetup, you'll probably be able to find somebody that will be willing to sell you whatever crypto that you're looking for. You can't really do this on Facebook any longer. Alongside other social media folks have been pretty much banning crypto-related anything on their platforms. So it's kind of a little bit more tough on the social media side. But if you put out a Craigslist ad or look through other similar sites, I'm sure you can find folks who are willing to do it. You will want to make sure that you are very careful about this sort of transaction, whether you're the buyer or seller. This is because you're letting that other person know that you're going to have at least access, if not have it on you, to 100, 1,000, 10,000 plus dollars worth of dollars or crypto on you. Make sure that you select a safe place to do the transaction. Make sure the person's not trying to con you. And make sure, make sure, make sure you know how to verify that you have received that crypto before you hand over the cash. Make sure that you know how to verify that the crypto has been sent and that it has been received in your wallet and that everything is good to go. Don't trust anybody. That's what blockchain's all about. It's about verifying. Once again, I'd like to mention this is for educational purposes only. This is not investment nor security advice. If I was doing this, I would personally choose a public place, Little Cramp Potter Town, maybe a coffee shop, or even inside a Walmart, really. This transaction will be from here on out from really the point of view of you being the buyer, since this is about you buying your first Bitcoin or whatever crypto that you're looking at buying. First, you're going to want to make sure that you have the amount of money that they are asking for, as well as whatever crypto wallet that you're going to be purchasing set up. So if you're buying Bitcoin, have a Bitcoin wallet. If you're going to be buying Bitcoin Cash, have a Bitcoin Cash wallet. Yes, they are different. We will explain that in later episodes. If you're going to be buying Ethereum or Ripple, you're going to have to have separate wallets for each of those cryptocurrencies. It's very important to know that you cannot send Bitcoin to an Ethereum wallet or vice versa. All that will happen is that that Bitcoin will go to that address that will not accept it and that Bitcoin will be lost forever. No way to get it back ever again. So just be careful about that and make sure that you know exactly what you're doing before you ever press send or ever hand anybody cash. So 
when that person arrives, they're going to need to know what your wallet public address is or have the QR code that contains that address ready. Once again, next episode, we're going to be going over wallets or actually episode six, we're going to be going over wallets. Episode five, we'll be going over exchanges. But in episode six, we'll be talking about wallets and what public and private keys are and how to use them to transact in in cryptocurrencies. But in short, your public key, your public address, this is basically your mailing address for crypto. If you want somebody to send you X amount of Bitcoin, they're going to need to know what your public key is, your public address. So it's going to be a long string of numbers. It's called hexadecimal. That's letters and numbers, roughly around 40 characters long. And each cryptocurrency is going to kind of have a unique prefix for, for each of their coins. Do not try to read these out verbally. You are going to screw it up and you're going to lose whatever that they send you. Copy and paste them into an email or a text. Or really the best thing is to use a QR code. Most mobile app type wallets like Jax or something like that are going to have a QR code that they can scan with their mobile app that automatically throws your address right into the send column for that for this uh, transaction. QR codes, if you don't know what they are, they're very similar to a barcode, but they kind of look like a small square that's got little black and white boxes in them, and it can be scanned by these wallet apps. Also, make sure that you're giving that person your public address and not your private key. Now, once again, we'll be going over that later, but your private key is basically the passcode to your wallet. It's the password. Don't ever give that out. If you want to access your wallet, you need two things, a public key and a private key. Your public key you can give out to everybody. Like I said, it's kind of like your mailing address. Your private key is kind of the keys to the kingdom. With that, they can access your wallet at any time, transfer all your funds out at any time. You want to keep that private key safe at all times. Never give it out. If you ever think that it might be compromised, immediately send all the funds out of that wallet into a new wallet for safekeeping. So once they scan your address and they send you the crypto, this transaction will generate what, what is called a transaction ID, an identification number. Have them send that to you. You're going to input that into what's called a blockchain explorer. Now, each coin is going to have their own individual blockchain explorer. So for Bitcoin, you can use blockchain.info. If you're using Ethereum, use ethscan.io, E-T-H, scan.io. And basically what these are is... They're a pretty powerful tool. You can read anything that's publicly available on that blockchain through this. But the really most common use of this is taking a transaction ID or a wallet address and you plug it into that blockchain explorer and it'll show you everything you want to know. So if you input that transaction ID that they sent you into the blockchain explorer, you can confirm that the transaction is being sent to your address. Double check that address that they're sending that's in that send for that transaction is actually to your address. Make sure that they did not put another address in there and try to fool you into think that they're sending you some Bitcoin when it's actually to themselves. You're going to, you're going to refresh it. Every so often, you'll see what's called confirmations. One confirmation, 15 confirmations is basically how many confirmations of, of nodes on the network, which are just basically verifying computers, are have read this transaction and said that it's good. Once that it shows the transaction has been successfully sent, Check your wallet, make sure that it reflects the amount that you should have, and then hand over the money or whatever you're trading for that crypto. You can actually check in the Blockchain Explorer by inputting your wallet address if you don't specifically have like a mobile wallet with you or something like that. 
and you can input your wallet address into a blockchain explorer and it'll show all the transactions in or out, received and sent, as well as your total balance. So you can see if you didn't have any Bitcoin at all, they're supposed to send you one whole Bitcoin and it says confirmed on the blockchain explorer. You click on your wallet, you check it, it shows one Bitcoin in there, you're good to go. There's also the more obvious avenue for person-to-person transfers, and that's just go through the friend who probably got you interested in crypto. If you're not looking to make a significant investment and just want to throw a few hundred or a thousand dollars at it, depending on your financial situation, you may not want to go through all this trouble of meeting a guy in a coffee shop or signing up for exchanges. Find that friend or niece or brother that's already into crypto, give them the cash, and they can probably get you crypto in exchange for it. And this way, if you do ever want to start to trade it, you can always use a decentralized exchange or a non-verified account on a centralized exchange like Kraken. And you can fund it with crypto and you don't have to worry about doing all the shenanigans with passports and IDs. So what are the pros of doing a person-to-person transfer? Privacy. If privacy is your main concern, there's no better way to do this than to purchase with cash in person. It is important to note that legally you're still liable for taxes on the cri- this crypto purchase if you sell it for a profit at a later date. You should consult with a registered tax attorney or CPA to make sure that you're in full compliance with the latest laws and regulations as they are very confusing and ever-changing and still pretty muckety-muck at the moment. It's always a good decision to not get the department of making you sad on your case over a few hundred dollars in capital gains tax on a crypto sale. The second real cool thing about these person-to-person exchanges is that they're really easy compared to having to wait for your registration information to be approved, scanning driver's license. It's much easier to hand over cash. And within a few minutes, you see your crypto show up in a wallet and you're done. So basically over the course of a coffee break, you can basically knock this out. So what are the cons? The main one, obviously, is physical safety. I think that if you're smart, this really is not a concern. Don't meet in a remote location. If the guy says, hey, meet me, you know, four miles off Route 9 down this quarry, probably not a good idea. Don't have these people come to your home. Keep your identity as secret as possible in case they do have bad intentions, as there are bad people out there. However, if you're looking to buy tens of thousands of dollars of crypto from someone that you don't know, this can be a concern with the amount of cash or crypto that you might have on you or that they know that you have on you and now know where you live or something along those lines. You don't have to worry about this. This is kind of the pro of the exchange, that uh, the centralized exchange like Uphold.com. You don't have to worry about someone robbing you when you're inside Uphold.com. So the second con is kind of scams. People have been scammed, especially newcomers. Uh, People have bought crypto, and this is more of people who are actually selling crypto, and they are selling it online, and they use PayPal. The guy buys it from them you know, sends the PayPal transaction, it goes through, then the seller sends the Bitcoin to the buyer, the buyer then reverses the PayPal payment and by flagging it as a fraudulent payment. And now this person is out there Bitcoin and they don't get paid. So this is more that's more from a seller's point of view than a buyer's point of view. But just beware, obviously, whenever money's exchanging hands, there's going to be scammers. People will send fake screenshots, right? So if you're doing it online, there are things on local Bitcoins or other Uh, person-to-person exchanges that allow you to do it online without doing any kind of centralized exchange. And you'll send money to Walmart or Western Union and that sort of thing. And they, you know, we've had instances of people sending fake screenshots, showing confirmations on a block explorer, those sorts of things. 
Even in person, people have hit send on fake transactions and walked away with the money before the transaction was confirmed. Like, you know, they said, hey, you know, okay, here, I sent it. And, the, you know, here, look at me, I'm pushing send. Here, give me the money. Okay, don't worry, it's on its way. You know, it's, it's going to be on its way. And it turns out, like I said, that it was sent not to their address of you, not to you as the buyer's address, but was sent to the scammer's second wallet or something like that. Basically, if you're not at all comfortable with the process of doing this in person, I would, at the very least, bring someone along who knows what's going on. Always make sure that you verify yourself on your phone or your laptop via a block explorer that you know is legitimate that the transaction has been sent, that it has been confirmed, and that it has deposited in your wallet. Bring that friend who knows something about crypto so that they can help you along the way. Personally, I really wouldn't recommend a person-to-person transaction with people you don't know until you're a little bit more familiar with crypto and feel more comfortable with the whole process. Buy from a trusted friend or go to uphold.com and buy your first little bit of Bitcoin there. Once again, no pun intended. So whether you went through an exchange or bought in person, you're now the proud owner of cryptocurrency. So congratulations. More than likely, you bought Bitcoin or Ethereum or Litecoin or Bitcoin Cash or one of the other more well-known cryptos. Especially if you went through Coinbase, you're going to be limited to those four of Bitcoin, Bitcoin Cash, Litecoin, and Ethereum. If you want to branch out into something like ARK, Enigma, or EOS, you will need to find a, an exchange that offers those coins, something like Bittrex, something like Bitfinex. You're going to need to transfer the crypto that you bought on, say, Uphold, like your Bitcoin or whatever, to that, that exchange, and then you can purchase it that way. As I mentioned once again multiple times, I went over my personal checklist on how to research and rate coins before you purchase them in the last episode, episode three. So please listen to that if you have not, or re-listen to that before you buy any further coins. As always, I want to thank you for spending your time here, especially learning about blockchain and especially, especially with me. If you have any questions, feel free to contact me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. With any questions you may have, you'll find all of the podcasts, articles, and social media links on digynocrypto.com. That's digynocrypto.com.